it's good to be with you guys again. Uh, once again, my name is Jay Sharpenberg. I attend Kynos uh, Presbyterian Church. We're in Lilburn, but I'm a minister with a ministry called Church Without Walls. We do dialogues with our Muslim neighbors. So if you've noticed the last couple times I've been here, I've had some of my Muslim friends with me. That's why. So thank you for your hospitality to them. Um, our sermon text specifically was the Isaiah 9 text. So that's what we're going to be preaching from today. But before we do that, let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would speak powerfully through me, not out of my strength, but out of your spirit, Lord. And I pray that you would open our hearts to receive the message of hope that this passage brings, the message of peace, so that this would be a season of rejoicing in the midst of our oppression. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It started with the murder of Lois Lane. But not just her, because she was pregnant. And so when she died, Superman's child also died. And as Superman cradled her lifeless body in his hands, that's when the Joker struck again a nuclear bomb exploded in Metropolis. Instantly, 11 billion million people were vaporized. As Superman walked through the rumble of the radioactive wasteland that was once the city of tomorrow, two words kept repeating in his mind, never again. The first thing he did was hunted down the Joker, and when he found him, fist went right through him. And then he turned his attention to the nations. He attacked one nation where the leader of that nation was oppressing his people. He captured him. He uh, took him out of that nation. And then he gave a public warning to all the other nations. I don't care what your conflicts are. I don't care what your problems are. I will not tolerate your oppression anymore. Now, half of the superheroes in the DC universe sided with Superman and saw him as a savior. The other half, led by Batman, saw him as the world's new oppressor. And so a civil war began in the DC universe. Now, this is the premise of the comic book, Injustice, Gods Among Us. And I'm very excited that finally all those years of comic book reading can now be used for God's glory. First time ever. But what we see in the story is Superman is establishing peace on earth, but it's peace that's established by kind of putting people in a prison. Because superficially, on the surface, there is peace. The nations are no longer fighting each other anymore. But under the surface, all that hatred, all that animosity, all that anger still remains. So that if Superman were removed from the equation, all that anger and hatred would come back up to the surface, would explode back up to the surface, just like uh, a can of soda that you shake up and then open. Well, here in our passage, we are expanding upon the passage we read last week where we heard about the virgin who conceived and gave birth to a son, 
and his name was Emmanuel, God with us. And here we see more information given about that child. And what we see is that child is going to establish not just a surface level peace, but genuine, true peace that goes under the surface as well. Now this may be a topic that can be very hollow for us as you turn on the news or as you're living your life. It's just one issue of oppression after another. And so we can become numb to such topics. But the Christmas time is that season where we look toward that true peace. And that's exactly what our passage wants us to do as well, is to look to that true peace and not just look to it, but to rejoice in that peace as well. And so the message that our passage has for you today is this. Rejoice in the Messiah because as mighty God, he brings you out of darkness into his peace. Rejoice in the Messiah because as mighty God, he brings you out of darkness and into his peace. The first thing we see in our passage is that the world you live in, you will face oppression. In Isaiah 9-2, it says, In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And talk about what that means in a second. But then in Isaiah 9-4, it talks more about oppression. And it says, um, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, he has shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Now, when he's talking about the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, it goes back to the context I talked about in my last sermon. And unfortunately, I just realized I uh, did the map with the wrong hand. This is how it would look to me, but this is how it would look to you. So you have the nation of Judah. Above them is the nation of Israel. Above them is the nation of Syria. And then over here is the Assyrian Empire. Judah pays the Assyrian Empire to defeat Syria and Israel because Syria and Israel are attracting Judah. And so when it says the land of Zebulun and the land of Natali, that's part of the nation of Israel that was carried off into captivity by the Assyrian Empire at this time. So they're coming in as oppressors and carrying them off, and yet Zebulun and Naphtali is also oppressing Judah. And when it talks about the day of Midian's defeat, it's speaking about the time of Gideon. He was one of the judges of Israel, and at that time, the Midianites were attacking Israel, and they were destroying all their crops, killing all their animals, and the only way the Israelites could survive was by fleeing to the mountains. And so God raised up Gideon to defeat them. Now, we also face oppression in our world today. We face it on large scale, internationally, nationally, and in our own personal lives. Some examples of the oppression we see today internationally, there's a genocide going on among Christians in Nigeria where the Fulani herdsmen have declared jihad on the Christians there. They're attacking their villages. They're killing people. They're taking people into slavery. This happens over and over again. 
nationally, we have an epidemic of school shootings. In 2022 alone, there were 49 school shootings with 45 people who died from those school shootings. But on a personal level, you may be facing oppression yourself. It may be from a job that demands too much from your time so that you cannot invest in your family, you cannot invest in your health. It could be a relative, a neighbor, a spouse, who when you bring up a concern, they flip the script on you, and so they start blaming you for the concern you're raising for them. And in fact, there is so much oppression that we face that it's almost like we're playing a game of whack-a-mole, where you're trying to stop oppression here, and then boom, 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 oppression comes up over there. So much that you get oppression fatigue. You're just, you're exhausted and you just give up. And part of the reason why that is, is because this oppression manifests a kingdom of darkness. Isaiah 9.2 speaks of this darkness. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, the word darkness is used throughout the Bible, and we're going to look at three aspects to that right here. The first aspect is that darkness refers to a spiritual kingdom. Uh, Colossians 1.13 talks about a domain of darkness, for example. Now, how did this spiritual kingdom come about? When God created humanity, he created us good, and he created us to rule over creation under his authority. And so as we submit to God, as we obey God, we are ruling over creation. But then our first parents, Adam and Eve, were tempted by the serpent to rule over creation in rebellion to God. And so they're ruling over creation on their terms and not God's terms. But the reality is this was a trick. This was deceit because instead of finding themselves ruling, they now found themselves enslaved to sin, enslaved to their own lusts. And being us being born from Adam and Eve, descendants of them, were born into this domain of darkness as well. Second aspect of darkness is that it points to the evil things that we do. Um, John 3.19 says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world but people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Finally, darkness also report, or, uh, speaks of our desire to hide our evil deeds rather than exposing them to the light of repentance. Uh, John continues in verse 20, he says, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. Now, one thing that you, one news story that you all may be familiar with that I think really captures this idea of the kingdom of darkness or the domain of darkness. All right, we're going to have to jump into a little bit of conspiracy theory here. Hopefully, you guys are cool with that. But it captures this very well. And I'm not saying this conspiracy theory is true or not. I can argue either way. But here's what the theory is. It can be summarized in four words. Epstein didn't kill himself. Remember on April 10th, 2019, 
Jeffrey Epstein was found dead in his cell. The official story is that he committed suicide. Now, there are other facts in that story that lead to people questioning that. For example, um, he was supposed to have a roommate who was with him, or a cellmate who was with him at all times. That cellmate was transferred out that night, and a new cellmate was not brought in. The guards were supposed to check on him every 30 minutes. They didn't. Instead, both guards fell asleep for three hours. There were two cameras on his cell. Both of the cameras malfunctioned that night. There was a third camera that had unusable video. Um, And fourth, and probably most importantly, he had a lot of connections to a lot of powerful people, and if he began talking, he would expose some light in some very dark places. I mean, this was a guy who had been a guest at Mar-a-Lago. He had attended Chelsea Clinton's wedding. He had connections with Bill Gates. So a lot of powerful people really wanted, you know, really benefited from his death. And so we see that whole idea of darkness being a kingdom of evil. We see the darkness being evil actions, and we see darkness being an attempt to cover up that evil. Now, because we are born from Adam and Eve, we're born into this kingdom of darkness, we too are both oppressed in this world, but also oppressors. It's not an either-or, it's a both-and. We face oppression, but we also cause oppression. And in our own efforts to suppress that evil, to not shine light on our evil, we focus exclusively, our tendency is to focus exclusively on the evil that is perpetrated against us and not the oppression that we are perpetrating against others. But into this world of oppression, God sent a light. God sent his Messiah, who is mighty God. Isaiah 9.6 speaks about this. It says, For to us a child has been born, to us a son has been given, and the government is upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now those are some pretty epic names for this child. And to understand the epicness of this na- these names, we need to look at the fact that this child is sitting on David's throne, as the next verse tells us. And so we need to understand David's throne. Now, to understand David's throne, we have to go back to the judge Samuel. At the time of uh, Samuel, he was judge over Israel. He was getting old. He had two kids, and the two kids were not moral people. So the elders of Israel came up to Samuel, and they said, Hey, you know, your kids are not going to be good judges. So, uh, you know, we'd really like a king like all the other nations. Now, there's a problem here. Israel is not like all the other nations. Their king is God. And so when Samuel brings this up to God, he says, do what they say. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as king. And so they go from God as king to a human king who's born out of this domain of darkness. But then when David comes along, God makes a covenant with David, and he says, 
you're going to have a son who's also going to be my son, and his kingdom is going to last forever. And what God is saying here in making this promise to David is he's saying, they rejected God as their king, so I am going to come to them as their king in the form of this child. And hence, the epic names we see here. Now, in the ancient Near East, when you are enthroned as king, you are given four names at your coronation. And so these are the coronation names of that child who's going to sit on David's throne. The first name is Wonderful Counselor. Now, if you remember last week, I talked about the angel of the Lord and how he is God, but also a distinct person from God who appears as a man. And so that sounds a lot like Jesus in the New Testament. And so all the church fathers would argue that this angel of the Lord was the pre-incarnate appearance of the Son. So this is the Son of God appearing to man before he became human in the incarnation. Well, I remind you of this because that word wonderful there, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah, remember Manoah was Samson's father. He's announcing the birth of Samson. And Manoah says, what is your name? The angel of the Lord says, why do you ask me my name? It is wonderful. Same word here. And when it says counselor, we see in Isaiah chapter 11, another prophecy of the Messiah, that the spirit of the Lord will be upon him. And one of the attributes of that spirit of the Lord is that he will be the spirit of counsel. And so he is wonderful counselor. Second name is mighty God, El Gibor in Hebrew. Now, if you're looking at this and you're thinking, whoa, this is talking about the incarnation. This is God who's becoming his man. That's exactly what it's saying. Because in Isaiah 10, 21, Yahweh is given the title mighty God. And so this child is Yahweh, mighty God in the flesh. Third, we see that he is everlasting father. And we think of the Gospel of John where it's talking about the son. And it says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship to the father has made him known. And so the son reveals the father. As Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And finally, he's given the name Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom. Now, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Joshua right before he entered the promised land to attack Jericho, that angel said his name was Sar Siva, the prince of the Lord's army or the prince or the commander of the Lord's army. And so then he was coming in battle, but now as this child, he's coming to bring peace. And as mighty God, he brings you out of darkness. Isaiah 9, 7 says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there is no end. He will sit on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice 
and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so the birth of this child is the bringing of light into the world. As Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever walks in, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so in coming into the world, you know, when you have light, it can be the darkest room ever, but you turn on a little bit of light and that darkness scatters. And that's what Jesus has come to do to the kingdom of darkness. He says at one point, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. Now that strong man he's describing there is Satan. The house that's being plundered is his dominion. The person plundering that house is the son of God. And so he goes around healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing those with leprosy, driving out demons, and preaching the good news to the poor. He is at war with this kingdom of darkness. And it's said in our passage that the government is on his shoulders. And this tells us how he actually is able to defeat the kingdom of darkness. And Tertullian gives a good explanation of what it means when it says the government is on his shoulders in his book Against Marcion. He says, Now what king is there who wears the ensign of his dominion upon his shoulders, and not rather upon his head as a diadem, or in his hands as a scepter, or else as a mark in some royal apparel? But the one new king of the new ages... Jesus Christ carried on his shoulder both the power and the excellence of his new glory, even the cross, so that, according to our former prophecy, he might thenceforth reign from the tree as Lord. The government that is on his shoulders is the cross that he had to carry to Golgotha. And so in his death on the cross, he suffered a violent death. But in doing so, he established a kingdom of peace. And in his death on the cross, he suffered an unjust death. But in doing so, he established a kingdom of justice. And in his death on the cross, he became sin for us. But in doing so, he established a kingdom of righteousness. And where Superman, in his efforts to establish peace, he did it by subduing people. Our Messiah, mighty God, does it by subduing hearts. And where Superman's weapon in establishing peace was his own strength, the mighty God's weapon is his word. And where Superman established peace by dominating his enemies, mighty God does it. By delivering his enemies. He has rescued you from the dominion of darkness. And brought you into the kingdom of his only son. In whom there is redemption. The forgiveness of sins. And so we need to rejoice in the Messiah. Who brings you into his peace. 
we see this rejoicing called for in verse 3 of Isaiah 9. It says, You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice uh, when dividing the plunder. And so it's describing people who are rejoicing at abundance and at victory in the establishment of peace. And so whereas Superman established a surface-level peace, but under the surface there continued to be a lot of hatred, a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness, the mighty God goes directly under the surface and rescues people from their hatred, from their bitterness, from their rage, and brings them into his kingdom of light. And as that kingdom expands more and more, that freedom, that light trickles up to the surface and undermines that surface-level oppression. But in the meantime, as there is a new kingdom, and that new kingdom is a threat to that dominion of darkness, it actually can increase oppression as the old kingdom is fighting against the kingdom of the mighty one. And so if we look to the oppression in our world and we look exclusively to the oppression, it can be discouraging. I mean, that that domain of darkness, it seems so powerful, so ubiquitous, it's so diverse, it comes at you from so many different angles. It's so deep-seated in people's hearts. But but if, when in the midst of looking at that dominion of darkness, you also look to the Messiah, the one who is on David's throne, who is at the right hand of the Father, who has all authority on heaven and earth, and who will be reigning until he makes every enemy a footstool for his feet, There is rejoicing that we can have this holiday season in the midst of the oppression that is around us.